Hello, welcome back. Welcome back to the Moss Vino Please podcast. I am Andrea and I'm your host. These intros are always like kind of hard for me because I feel like they don't sound that natural. <laughs> I'm trying to get better at that, but anyway, welcome. Today's episode is with Brock Larson of Fiki Fiki Wines. Fiki Fiki is based in LA and inspired by Italian disco and old world winemaking. Brock's journey started one year when he decided it was time to leave his office job and go work Harvest for a season, (laughs) which if you've ever worked Harvest, which I have not, by the way, Harvest is intense, apparently. According to my sources, it is pretty heavy. I'm hoping to get into it this season and report back, but it's hard work, basically, to go from an office to Harvest. And he did that. And he fell in love with the winemaking process. And now, a couple of years later, he has Fiki Fiki. He's the co-founder. And they're in their second vintage and gearing up for their third. Enjoy this episode. Um, Okay, so we're going to start by drinking the... It's the La Dernière Goutte Gamay Sans Frontières. Practicing my, my French from college took eight years of French. Really? And on paper, I'm supposed to be very, very fluent and definitely not anymore, but. I got a C minus the only semester of French I took in college. Oh, well, I had to, t- I've been taking French since I was in the eighth grade. I could not, I like was supposed to be a super fluent, like I studied Western European politics. That was like my concentration in my major. Mm-hmm. So I had to take French to go with it never used my French since I graduated. I just took it because I thought it would make me cooler. Did you want to take Spanish? I, I took Spanish growing up and I think I've given hmm. up on learning French and I'm starting to lean into wanting to focus more on Spanish and Italian just because it's... For work. It's just a little easier too. Like I already kind of have the... The background of Yeah, just Spanish. The, the understanding of kind of like the root language. Yeah. I totally just fucked that. I spilled wine. Um, okay, well, I know that you are a big fan of kind of old world wines. Mm-hmm. So I chose a very classic Beaujolais Gamay. It's um, carbonic maceration. Um, it's a zero zero wine, so there's no added sulfur. Very natch, very natural, yeah. true natty. Um, yeah. Yeah, this producer is great. They make. A handful of gamets yeah and it's crazy mm-hmm. how different they are you know depending on the cuvee do you know what subregion of beaujolais this is from i don't i mean i feel like it says it no i was about <laughs> i thought it was mill valley i was like it's imported by <laughs> well cheers cheers yeah thanks for having me thanks for joining yeah mm. i haven't had like a beaujolais beaujolais in like a really long time um we just got back from beaujolais in november mm. and had a really epic trip um, but I love that region. It's kind of what initially drew me to natural wine to begin with. Yeah. And, um, you know, the thing that I love about being there is all the producers love to drink and it feels like one big party while you're there. And I feel like that's kind of personified in the wine too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So really easy drinking, really fun. You yeah. Know, you can, just like, it's like you kind of get the spirit of, in the ethos of the region in yeah. the glass, mm-hmm. which 
is really cool. And like if you compare that to, you know, their neighbors to the north in Burgundy, you know, Burgundy is super austere and kind of guarded a little bit Mm -hmm. at times. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, it's interesting how wine can kind of uh, take the personality of the region and the producer. Mm -hmm, For sure. That's what I, I feel like that's really like why I love wines. Like I feel that any wine, regardless of where it comes from, is really, if it's done well and done with like heart and care Mm -hmm. by the producer, then it's really going to capture like a moment in time. The moment that those guys and or women were producing that wine and like all the work it took to like tend to the land to do it and then bottling it and whatever celebrations were going on like as they were cooking and bottling and I don't know how yeah so. it's a lot like cooking too mm. where there's nothing like going into a traditional restaurant and eating something that's made with heart there's it's kind of that je ne sais quoi that you know it's like you don't you can't really control that but the the fact that it there's a certain weight to it that makes things special. Yeah, definitely. No, for sure. There's like the just the the love and care. That's I feel like that's the big difference between these wines that are like minimally intervened, I guess is the way to natural wines versus conventional wines. Conventional wines often don't they're just mass produced in a way that doesn't really capture the terroir or the people who make it it's just a product to sell Mm -hmm. and like continue that cycle whereas natural wines are you could taste like the heart and soul of the process and of the people making it and stuff so i think that's why it's more special than (laughs) some other wines maybe but yeah well i think that's what someone told me we were in in alsace tasting with a guy named pierre freak who's this multi-generational vigneron and we were just talking about kind of the difference between conventional conventional and natural wine. It's like as soon as you start making decisions based on money is when you stop making natural wine. Mm-hmm. And even if you are, quote unquote, practicing naturally, um, your whole incentive is different and it actually impacts the wines yeah, too. Yeah, 100%. I think that's one of the main caveats or like just like like difficulties well I, I don't know I guess it's very hard to make money when it comes to producing wine and I feel like we kind of talked about this like the first time we met but like the people that are really the ones that are gonna make any kind of money in natural wine are probably going to be like the distributors and like kind of the middlemen where like producers and farmers and basically anyone else it's really hard to like make money like most of the people I know in the wine industry have two jobs like they have their day job and whatever their career is and then they have this really amazing passion project that they're working on to kind of like bring to life and I feel like you have to really you just love the art of making wine and that's why people continue to make wine (laughs) Totally. Or, you know, you make money by charging a ridiculous amount. And you really only get that through branding and, you know, price point. You know, you talk about Napa Valley and Mm -hmm. most California wines. Like, to people who have our palate, those wines aren't necessarily interesting because there's no 
real terroir mm-hmm. that drives those wines other than but you know the reason why they're popular is because it kind of exudes this false sense of wealth and importance like oh i'm drinking screaming eagle mm-hmm. this tastes mm-hmm. nothing like cabernet should taste from bordeaux or you know wherever but you know i'm drinking a thousand dollar wine yeah yeah I, I personally, I mean, obviously my budget is much different than those types of wine drinkers. Yeah. But personally, like, I mean, my ethos has always been that wine is for the people. Totally. So if your wines are, you know, a thousand, five thousand dollars a bottle, even hundreds of dollars a bottle, like there are very, I feel like there are very few wines that truly deserve those price points. And it's maybe because it comes from like a chateau that I don't know, there's some crazy story behind it or reason why there was only so many bottles of that vintage that would like allow it to be that price point. But sure. really like wine is, it's a, it's an agricultural product that's been made for thousands of years from like old ass fruit. <laughs> like yeah. it shouldn't be so expensive there. I feel like, it's for everyone. And so when the people like made it this exclusive product that it has been for the last 50 or 60 years, however long, you know, like even before, like before modern industrialization of wine, like wine back in the old days, like in the, I don't even know, 1600s, whatever, like people, everyone had wine, like peasants had wine, the Kings had wine, like everyone had wine. People, wine was more sanitary than water. Mm -hmm most people were drinking wine with their breakfast or they were drinking wine, you know, throughout the day because water was not as clean yeah. as it is now. Well, so wine was almost cheaper. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. so that, and then it all of a sudden becomes this like sought after elitist life source. Yeah. But, but now that it's become, or at least like in the last like 50 years, it became this like very elitist product where totally. there's now this, instant gap between people who are quote unquote into wine or know about wine and people who are not. It's like, it's, it's I don't know. It just kind of goes against, I guess. Me too. The origins of wine in the first place. It is kind of interesting to think about the super expensive natural wines though. You know, you look at, you know, kind of the lower tier of expensive and you look at those Gabriel Bini wines mm-hmm. and those are such wines of place. They come from a tiny island that's closer to Africa than it is Italy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the I think his lowest entry level cuvee is around ninety dollars and then his reserve is around two fifty, three hundred. Yeah. But you talk about terroir and the journey it took for a wine to get to your door in LA or New yeah. York or whatever. It's like mm-hmm. you know how hard it is to ship wine in general that's let alone from a place literally dropped in the middle of the ocean. Yeah, for sure. No, I mean, like that's that's something that I feel like I get into conversation with with people on TikTok specifically. I've also mentioned this on like another podcast um, episode, but like people are like, "Show me a five dollar bottle of natural wine, and we'll talk." Because yeah. like they're so used to buying like three and five dollar wines from Trader Joe's or Whole Foods or wherever they're buying wine, and like they're not understanding like while I like while I'm just talked about how like wine should be affordable and accessible to everyone but I also believe that there's a middle ground where it's also priced high enough that every single person that's involved in the process of making the wine growing the wine 
bottling the wine, shipping the wine, serving you the wine, like everyone in that process is paid fairly mm-hmm. and everyone is like getting their cut of a product that took time, took yeah. many, many months to make and many months to get to your glass. So like, yeah, also on the other end of the spectrum is like this really cheap $5, $3 wine, even $10 bottles who, of wine where I'm like- wants to drink that? Yeah, where it's like, no, that's <laughs> not even like, if that bottle cost $5, cost you $5, like imagine how many people it had to pass through to get to you well, and like how much they're making on that bottle. It's almost like, can I please pay more for this? I, I don't, I don't want to yeah. pay $5. No, for- truly. Like I would, I'm that, and I would much rather, even in the beginning of like my wine journey, I feel like I was always like, I'd rather spend 15 to $20 more on a bottle if I know that. It was produced well. It was farmed well. The -hmm. people that are involved are getting, you know, fair wages, healthcare, whatever it is, right? Like I would rather spend that premium on on any product that is a sustainable product. Mm -hmm. I'd rather pay a little bit more than buy shitty $5 wine from Trader Joe's. (laughs) But also, you know, there's like those Bruno Schuller wines, for example. I think those are, he's first of all, one of my favorite winemakers, but his entry level cuvees are twenty twenty two dollars, mm-hmm. and my cellar is I probably have five or six cases of that stuff. Yeah, there's so much acid, there's so much complexity. Sometimes there's some residual sugar, and those are going to age beautifully mm-hmm. for five or ten years. Mm-hmm. And you know what's crazy is like you don't really see a huge markup in cellared wine of his because it's priced super fairly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, same thing with the Mendal wines too. Um, those are probably the most gracefully aging natural wines, yeah. in my opinion. So, I haven't had many like aged natural wines, partially because I drink a lot of like very young wines. I also yeah. like just I'm new-ish to the game, so I just haven't had time to like age or cellar like any of my wines. <laughs> well, I'm kind of shooting myself in the foot by telling everyone the best natural wines to age because they're already hard enough to find. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, I feel like most people are like just down to purchase for that night or that totally. weekend and yeah. drink. So that's kind of like the good <laughs> part of it. Yeah. Um, you know, the aging process of natural wines is really interesting. Um, Gideon Beinstock, who runs Close to Rhone in the Sierra Foothills, who's my favorite, favorite California producer and is probably the closest experience you can have the tasting at a winery in the old world is mm. going to visit his his winery um, in, a, in a little town called Oregon House, which is where Frenchtown Farms is mm-hmm. also. Um, if you have time to go visit them, like it's truly one of the most mind-expanding visits I've been on. But his philosophy on you know low sulfur, no sulfur aging is that it ages about twice the speed of conventional wine or wine made with sulfur. So you know a 2010 natural wine will taste like a 2000s conventional wine mm. so um you know that's good for the seller yeah yeah, yeah it's yeah, not yeah, quite yeah. as long of a commitment right right yeah. right right that's interesting yeah i don't know much about i really don't know much about like collecting like how to collect and then like how to to wait <laughs> i guess number one i'm impatient totally to like yeah like i said like i tend to just lean towards younger wines because i want to drink them asap i'm usually buying in the moment or drinking in the moment um but i feel like there's a whole art behind like the science of knowing what and how Mm -hmm. to age 
the wine. Like that's a whole side of wine that I like haven't even touched. I'm sure I hope I could, you know, explore that soon. But yeah, that's like such a complex like I can just try to I can know. try to do a quick Okay, overview. wait, but before yeah. before you do the quick, yeah. please introduce yourself and yeah. share. <laughs> I probably should have done that that's a lot okay. earlier. No, I, I'm supposed to like You're a bad host. I'm supposed to segue into that, <laughs> but we got into a good tangent. Yeah, so my name is Brock Larson. I'm a co-founder of Fiki Fiki Wines based in Los Angeles. Um, The wine is made in Healdsburg up in Sonoma County. We um, produced two cuvées this year. This year for harvest, we're going to make five sourcing as far north as Potter Valley and Mendocino and as far east as Elk Grove near Sacramento. Um, We're trying to make lively, energetic expressions of California terroir that kind of resemble our taste and preference on old world wines. So um, there's a handful of places to get them in Los Angeles. We are kind of shipping to our friends um, in, throughout California. So, yeah, you can catch us mostly in Los Angeles. At Good Clean Fun. Mm-hmm. I've seen it at, I want to say Good Luck Wine also. Yeah. You're at Good Luck Wine. Um, Adam's super helpful. Yeah, I love Adam. Yeah, yeah he's the best. I'm actually going to be there tomorrow. I'm oh, interviewing nice. Kate. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah nice. she's next on my list. Um, super lovely couple. Yeah, they're amazing. They yeah. were like truly like – she. I feel like Kate is just like one of my like guides in wine. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't know if she's like intending for it to be, but like her wines that she curates for her wine club are just so insane and mm-hmm. like she just does such a great job at curating. Um, everyone needs a good shaman to get started no truly like she and i've like tried to express (laughs) that to this good way of putting it a shaman yeah Yeah, because like it's not quite ayahuasca but it's close no for sure and like (laughs) i yeah i'm just i like love every like she just really pushes me out of my comfort zone when it comes to wine because she's just recommending stuff that like i wouldn't gravitate towards because Mm -hmm. it's not on my radar yet and then she puts it on my radar and i'm like oh my god like this is insane how did i not know about X, Y, and Z or whatever. And so I'm always learning from her. That's why I really love them. I love yeah, them both. Adam totally. is also the same, obviously. Very helpful. Very, yeah. very like adventurous and like really like knows his shit when it comes to wines. Yeah, they're also creating a platform for a lot of Los Angeles-based Yes, I wan- was going to say. Winemakers or wannabe winemakers. And some of the conversations I've had with Adam are trying to mm-hmm. figure out how to expand that because right. as much as I love you know, spending time up in Northern California, it'd also be really fun to have a cellar more local to where I live. And yeah, absolutely. And a lot of the wines that come out of there, like I know um, Ashanta sometimes mm-hmm. works with them and not with them, but like in their um, in their winery. And um, I don't know if you've tried Bomba Wines, but Bomba yep. Wines is insane. So good. Steph is really amazing. And she actually used to work for them. Mm-hmm. She was like in the shop. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they're just incredible people. And anyway, I'm getting on a tangent about it's okay. good luck. <laughs> shout out friend. <laughs> shout out them. shout out Love friend them. of Fiki Kendall at Pharmacy Duvon. She's making oh, some wine there too. Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. I've never been to Pharmacy Duvon. It's it's amazing. Yeah, everyone like they and they've like like I don't know, they've like reshared something of mine on their Instagram and stuff like that. And they're just like such like cool, nice people. And I'm, I know that they lean a little bit more as far as I can tell, like maybe more traditional styles, not exactly like natural exclusive. It's it's a lot of classical producers you never knew Mm -hmm. were natural or Mm. super 
minimal mm-hmm. intervention. We just did a, yeah. um, they hosted an Emilio Pepe tasting there a few weeks ago with mm-hmm. Kiara, who's the granddaughter of Emilio. Mm-hmm. And she's taking over the the domain. And oh, wow. It was, a, it was a sick vertical. We did three vintages of the Montepulciano, mm-hmm. two of the Trebbiano. And then if you stick, along, stick around long enough, they were pouring some Pecorino too. Those have got to be my ideal desert island. Your three? Your... The, I mean, just those whites are the best white wines, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. They have everything I could ever want in a white wine. So those are special. But anyways, pharmacy is great. They have kind of the full spectrum of really allocated kind of hyper natty shit. But then mm-hmm. they also have like domain, uh, like, you know, like DRC, Domain Romani Conti. Mm-hmm. That is actually at a pretty good price point if you're yeah. willing to shell out 5K for, for <laughs> the some, wines that we're talking about for some heavy <laughs> berg, but like their their pricing's fair. Yeah, yeah. No, I've seen only amazing things like from them, and and they're really close. I mean, they're right here off Sunset. Like mm-hmm. they're not far from me. But yeah, I've just never been. But I definitely like saw my list of like mm-hmm. there. There's still actually like so many wine bars in. LA that I'm like kind of embarrassed that I like I haven't been to yet. Yeah. Which is like, I don't know, maybe because I'm just always drinking at home. But <laughs> yeah, there's a bunch of like wine bars, especially like on the west side, like uh what's that one? Well, it's not a wine bar, but it sells natural wine. It's Dudley Market. I've been yeah. meaning to go that I really want to go there. And then also Van on Rose. Rose yeah. on Van, Van on Rose. We just dropped Van off um seven cases of them today. Oh we're, nice. We're in there. June Wine Club this month. Oh, cool! That's so awesome. That's great. Yeah, the Albarino will be will be there. Yeah. Th- so this is Albarino. That's the Albarino. Nice. Yeah. I do love an Albarino. I like that it's like light and fresh and a little bit salty minerally. Me too. And that's what's really hard about making wine in California for me is mm-hmm. the things that I love most about white wine are, you know, phenolic ripeness, acidity, and balance, mm-hmm. and kind of that salinity, saltiness. Um, and with most of the white grapes grown in California, yeah, you're not it's really hard that. to find that balance. Right, because it's, it's not as coastal as one might think. Yeah. At least it, like wine regions are not going to be as coastal. Totally. Like you're, there's a lot of people trying to force Chardonnay into being that. Mm-hmm. And number one, the terroir is not right for it. It's too hot. And you're making the wine or the grape something it's not supposed to be. Right. So right. we're trying to – we're making Albarino again this year. Um, we're going up to Mendocino next week to go meet with our farmer and we're going to do an Alsatian Ellsvicker blend, which is inspired by Bruno Schuller's Ellsvicker. And it's a blend of Gewürztraminer, Riesling and Pinot Gris. And Mm -hmm. we're super stoked for that. That's going to be awesome. That one's going to be pretty radical. I love Alsatian like whites. Oh my God. Like that's like... That's another thing that Kate really introduced me to. Yeah. Is like really like opening up and like being like, okay, I want to like there's I mean, Eric Cam always has yep. like crazy shit that I'm just like, dude, I was not expecting it to be however it is. Like totally. Yeah. I that's originally what drew me to Alsace in the first place. Mm-hmm. My first wine trip I took to France, kept my my partner Kendall was like, Where do you want to go? I'm like, We're going to Alsace. Mm-hmm. She's like, Where the hell is that? Like, I don't really know, but we're going to go and it'll be awesome. Yeah. No, it was probably so insane. That's probably like. It was great. I yeah. mean, if you're a fan of aromatic white grapes mm-hmm. um, with pretty lightning acidity. Yeah. And then, you know, really fruit forward, pretty acidic red, like Pinot Noirs. It, that's the place for you. Right. It's great. It's insane. And that's 
you know, those are my favorite qualities in, in wine mm-hmm. and particularly natural wine. Yeah. Too, so. So can you share how you got into wine? Yeah. So are you, are you, do you come from like a traditional wine producer background or did you kind of like take a hard left at some point in um, life and got to wine? It was kind of this weird kind of ancestral journey where my family, I come from a farming family in the central, central coast, the Stockton area. They were almond and peach farmers. Oh, um, wow as well as potato farmers in Idaho, mm-hmm. which I know less about, so I'm not gonna say as much <laughs> about it. But my great-grandfather was an agricultural engineer, mm-hmm. and he helped develop the Delta system, which connected the San Francisco Bay Area mm-hmm. to the Central Valley and created you know, the filtration system that turned the salt water into brackish water into fresh water. Yeah, I've actually learned about that before. Yeah. That's pretty wild, cool. And okay. then, <laughs> you know, kind of a fun side story, he, um, did the same thing in Israel in the Golan Heights. Too, oh, wow. Which was kind of crazy. I didn't, mm-hmm. obviously wasn't born for that, but that's the history there. Yeah. And then my entire life I grew up playing baseball. So I was outside all the mm-hmm. time working with my hands. And once that, you know, ended, I got into a desk job where I was spending all of my time inside underneath fluorescent lighting mm-hmm missing being outside. And then my wine shaman that I lived two blocks away from was, was Lou from Lou wine shop. Mm -hmm. And that was really kind of the aha moment when we walked in one day and the entire book from MC squared was doing a tasting there. And there was 15 winemakers who didn't speak a lick of English pouring wine and juice that I'd like it felt like I was on drugs. Yeah, yeah. You know, so had you like had like had you been into wine prior to that? Um, you know, kind of on like a wannabe intellectual level, mm-hmm. but old school cabs, kind yeah, of like not, whatever parents. I mean, drink. I just knew that like if I was trying to impress a date or something, I was like, I want something really minerally. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't really know what like that meant. Like keywords. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just like how most people go into wine shops and ask for something funky now. Right. Right. You okay. Know? Yeah. 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 Can I have your orange? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, and then in rest, like, you know, I am obsessed with restaurants and going mm-hmm. to restaurants and all these places started pouring wine that was fizzy and wine that didn't bog you down and felt heavy on you. And, you know, I was really privileged to live two blocks from Lou and start going to these events and tasting these wines. And then, you know, that snowballed into doing several, like, it seems like every trip I do now revolves around wine, whether it's going yeah. to a new region or going to taste with people or blah, blah, blah. So, you know, here I am sitting in an office getting opaque from fluorescent lighting mm-hmm. And it was right around August, and I was like, you know what? I should go work Harvest. And I quit my job. I kept my apartment, subleased it to a friend, and moved up to Ukiah up in Mendocino mm-hmm. and worked Harvest. And I got my ass kicked. I, I learned so much, and it was, you know, you kind of got to earn your keep there. Right. And coming from that athletic background I loved showing up every day and, and grinding with mm-hmm. the people around me and mm-hmm. especially working outside with something natural 
yeah. that was in a computer screen. And it's very laborious. Totally. Like, super laborious. So you're like being physically active like I, all day long. I wish I would have lost more weight, but we were like <laughs> drinking. really well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you kind of had this like calling, like this, this like moment of just like, I'm just going to go fuck it. Like mm-hmm. it just seemed like the right thing to do. I, I, the transition out of sports into real life isn't mm-hmm. an easy one for a lot of people. Did you and play college? I played, I played college baseball. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was kind of that transitionary reset I needed in my life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it really made me appreciate how fucking hard it is mm-hmm. to do this stuff. And, and, yeah. and I don't know, it's just, that's what initially drew me to it. And then I took a few years off just to be a consumer and a learner of everything. And then during the pandemic, um, my friend and co-founder Ty, who we became quick friends, just, you know, decided to go for it and make mm-hmm. our first wine last year. And, Amazing. you know, we made $150, the first, first vintage and which was a huge success with all the startup <laughs> costs. Yeah. And, you know, that one wine, a hundred cases turned into two wines, 200 cases. And now we're looking at five wines somewhere around 800 to a thousand cases. Wow. So it's really fun. And it's, you know, I'm not, I don't care if we, you know, obviously I care if we break even so we can keep the project alive, but it's really about the knowledge and the relationships that we've learned and gained along the way. Right. Which makes, make it, you know, a hundred times worth it for us. Yeah, of course. So do you find that, do you think you'll, I know you mentioned kind of like you love where you produce, but like being closer, having production a little bit closer to your home base might be in the cards at some point. Mm -hmm. Do you think that you would like buy grapes from, are you an LA based producer who sources like specifically one region of grapes or are you, open to like really just kind of exploring all over um you know that that's a really interesting subject and something that's not really easily answered so if this my response jumps around a while i promise (laughs) there will be some sort of conclusion but you know the most important thing for me about making wine is terroir first of all Mm -hmm. and you know, that kind of coincides with making wine I want to drink. Mm -hmm. And that heavily is dependent on two things. And that's, you know, is this grape grown in the right area that has the right weather and the right wind and the right subsoil and whatever. But also what does that look like in 10 to 15 years as global warming continues to impact these regions? Mm -hmm. So I've looked everywhere from Lompoc to Tehachapi to, to the foothills to San Diego to Valle Guadalupe, mm-hmm. trying to sort of form, you know, talk to the people on the ground level. If there's anyone out there that's a global warming denier, speak to a vigneron and there's physical evidence there that global yeah. warming exists. So trying to sort of predict where things are going. And there's regions in California like where Raj Parr is making wine in Cambria, 20, 30 years ago, people would think you were fucking crazy if you were planting grapes there. It was super cold, super, you know, rot, intolerant, and really susceptible to mildew and stuff like that. But 
since global warming's heated everything up, it's, you know, Raj has done a great job of predicting the future that way. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of winemakers in my, you know, people in the same field as me that are starting to think like that and trying to predict that too. And, you know, as much as I love Sonoma and Mendocino, it's, you know, I, I've talked to people who started going to Napa in the seventies and eighties when there was, you know, 10 to 12 wineries there. Yeah. And now there's hundreds all competing for the same groundwater, um, you know, and all the surrounding homes and, and businesses are creating carbon emissions and, you know, what is that doing to the environment and how does that coincide with the drought? Totally. So, you know, that's why I'm out on Napa. There's, you know, maybe, two producers that suit still do it for me there. But with all the fires that have continued to happen in Sonoma and Mendo, it's really hard to tell because it, it, it really is sad because I love it up there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, I don't really have an answer for, for you. I mean. Do you think it's like, I guess the silver lining in a way is like, it provides opportunity for other regions that are number one overlooked and have been overlooked for, in California specifically, regions that have been overlooked for a couple of years or decades, whatever. Also farmers who still have to produce, like vineyards that still have to produce these grapes because they've, you know, these are estates or vineyards that have been around for however many decades. Um, And during like the wave of people really going to like Sonoma, Napa area, kind of like, icing these other vineyards in nearby or further regions kind of like out it may be they they still had to produce right like they still had to like grow grapes and do something with them and maybe they were being neglected slightly as producers were buying from other places Mm -hmm. this kind of provides an opportunity for them to maybe have a moment for people to like purchase from them it's like a really long-winded way of totally asking I mean, and stating a, a question <laughs> you talk about the life of a vigneron someone who farms and makes wine from their own own vines and so vigneron is somebody who who grows and also produces yeah yes okay. and then a vineyard owner or a vineyard yeah, farmer farmer would could just produce and sell to another producer who maybe doesn't have their own vineyard yeah. But Vigneron specifically refers to, I'm asking because I actually Yeah, <laughs> Vigne, Vigneron is someone who farms the land and makes wine from mm-hmm. the grapes that they farm. Do they also sell to other producers or mostly just like, it's very micro? Um, it, it just depends on how big the vineyards are. Mm-hmm. You know, um, like Gerard Oosterich in Ardèche sells wine or sells grapes to a bunch of winemakers mm-hmm. in Ardèche. Um, but he, he's a vigneron who also sells wine or sells grapes rather. Um, but you know, if, if that's your dream and you don't, you know, there's, there's a lot of barriers to entry with this. It's number one, it's a lifestyle change. Are you going to find a piece of land and plant vines and wait three years for them to bear fruit you can use? Mm -hmm. You know, can you make that work financially? Do you have the desire to really do that? Um, And then number two is the financial aspect. Mm -hmm. It's almost more expensive to buy a domain in Napa than it is to buy a domain in France. 
And with the introduction of these other wine growing regions that aren't as expensive as Napa, it, pre- it presents a really kind of enticing opportunity to buy land for a fraction of the price mm-hmm. and dedicate your life to it. But you have to be financially sound for it not to really deteriorate your sanity in life. Yeah. So yeah. it's like a lifelong commitment. Yeah. And, you know, it's a much simpler life. And mm-hmm. I think what COVID did for me is when everything, when the cities weren't fun, I really was down for that. Mm-hmm. But now that the cities are fun again, I'm like, <laughs> you yeah. know, like, why don't I just grind and make more money? And then once I'm burnt out on this, maybe I can make this happen. Right. So your ultimate goal is to have a vineyard. Yeah. California or elsewhere? Um, I don't want to sound like a dick and say somewhere else because, you know, that would be sick. Yeah. But the <laughs> like, I mean, living in on a vineyard in Italy or France. Yeah anywhere else would be fucking awesome so (laughs) i I just don't i would love for that to work i just don't see how it'd be possible for me to move i mean i don't know i like thinking about this (laughs) (laughs) so that is the goal definitely if it's here or somewhere else i'm down i don't know here or just anywhere yeah Yeah. you're just down you're down whatever life throws at you it's definitely going to be somewhere yeah but i don't know where it is yet yeah which is kind of the fun of it right 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 that's cool that's awesome do you okay so how often i guess so this is your second vintage Mm -hmm. right the first vintage was it like you moved up there and Mm -hmm. you like produced yeah how does that work for somebody who's based in la with a life in la yeah i mean we got (laughs) super lucky um the first year or you produced during COVID, right? We produced during COVID, okay. so working from home was pretty easy, or working remotely was pretty easy, and only making one cuvee is really not too labor-intensive, mm-hmm. so that was pretty pretty feasible. Um, year two, we got really fortunate. There's um, now two round-trip flights from Burbank to Santa Rosa on Avilo and Alaska, that are staggeringly low prices. You can fly round trip. At one point, you could fly round trip for forty bucks. Mm-hmm. And that was during COVID. That was last year. Or current, yeah, like yeah I guess still during COVID. Um, so you know, we we rented this little cottage that one of my friends used to live in, and it was you know a three hundred square foot box that Ty and I bought mattresses from Target at, threw them mm-hmm. on the ground. And just used it as a crash pad. Um, we were driving around all of wine country and going to the to the winery and making it. And that was a pretty intensive two months. Mm-hmm. And um, this year is going to be a, a much larger of a grind. We're doing about three times the amount of fruit we did, or three or four times the amount of fruit we did last year. Mm-hmm. And we're sourcing from vineyards that are, you know, basically two hours in each direction from the winery. Mm-hmm. So I can feel the harvest anxiety coming. Yeah. So that's <laughs> what, August? You'll leave and start that? Yeah, we're going to head up probably early to mid-August yeah. and just start driving around and, and going to vineyards and looking at how, how the fruit's progressing. Mm-hmm. Um, pray for good weather and yeah. no droughts or fires or right. any additional frost. Yeah. So 
Do you think there could still be frost in August? Very unlikely. Or maybe like in June or July. Very, very unlikely. Yeah, but that's good. as you know, the world is pretty unpredictable these days. <laughs> I know. It's so nerve-wracking. I don't want to... I don't want to count my chickens before they hatch. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I got invited to harvest. Um, we'll see if it works out, but I'm going to see this. That'll be my first. I'll only be there for like a long weekend because it's kind of just to like yeah. get a vibe of what Come on, you got to do the on. whole two or three months. I know. I wish I honestly, last year, <laughs> last year I saw like everyone going to harvest i felt like it was like everyone going to coachella but they were all going to harvest <laughs> and i was like i have fomo dude like this is like and i like hit up some of my friends i was like this is unfair like i'm just here in la and i'm so bored and like everyone's like going up north everyone's going to harvest and they're like no it's fucking hard like yeah. trust me like <laughs> you don't want to be here right now i was like i don't know and so this year i'm gonna just like dip one toe in the water you gotta and then just maybe jump next in. year, maybe just, next year. I know, but I have a job. I have like a like a job like I have to be in person for like every so often. So that's my only like I'm not a hundred percent remote. I'm like ninety percent remote. Sure. So and then of course like yeah, the ten percent that I like need to be in person will be probably during harvest. Cool. Well it's better than <laughs> no, nothing. yeah. But I yeah. do I I definitely like that's on my bucket list of like things i don't i don't know if like I, I mean the thing that's nice about wine is you don't necessarily have to be on the ground making it to learn from it mm -hmm. but seeing that translation in the cellar or yeah. in the vineyards really helps you bridge the gap in your understanding for sure um yeah there's plenty of i mean every glass of wine is a different learning opportunity mm -hmm. if you know what decisions led to that wine being like that right right so um i'm excited for you walk me through oh you literally label it as a rosé wine i wouldn't have thought that this was a like i wouldn't have yeah. seen this and been like a rosé i would have thought a very light yeah red but I lean towards, but now that I look at it this way, I it, see the like salmon-y kind of. you look of, at it in the light. Yeah, that, especially up here. Yeah. Obviously because it's more shallow. I'm seeing like. Yeah, just like straight up. It is very pink and salmon. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Definitely rosé. Okay, so what are. What, what went into this wine? Yeah. Tell us about your Ficky Ficky rosé. So this was kind of a happy accident. We got really... When you're low man on the totem pole buying only a few tons of, of grapes a year, your priority list when a farmer is selling grapes is at the very bottom. Right. Um, we had a lot of handshake deals with farmers about securing fruit, but no what is handshake like just non like yeah 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 we'll sell it, but exactly. no like confirmation. Totally, no written contracts mm -hmm. or anything, which is I just thought how people rolled. Mm -hmm. Um. So we're driving up to Sonoma for harvest last year and, you know, boom, boom, boom. We get calls from all the farmers going, hey, drought year, we're, we're down 90% on what we expected our yields to be. We were originally thinking we, we were going to pick out at, you know, 100 tons. We're only looking to pick out around 10. And that happened with all of our fruit this year. So it just vanished like that. And so... Ty and I are driving in the car. We kind of looked at each other. We're like, well, you know, what the fuck are we going to do? 
so we just it's hard enough finding fruit that's grown either organically biodynamically or non-certified organically Mm -hmm. meaning that it's farmed organically but they don't want to pay for the certification which is totally cool um as is but during a drought year it's incredibly difficult and you know you throw another wrench into it two weeks before harvest is a total shit show so we made about 40 cold calls trying to find fruit and we found some of this merlot up in redwood valley in mendocino all right, well, Merlot definitely wasn't our first choice. Mm-hmm. What are we going to do with this? So the fruit hadn't been picked yet. We had a long weekend in San Francisco to try to figure it out, and we went to a handful of bottle shops and tried to find Merlot Rosé um, just to see. We didn't really want to make an extracted, fully macerated red wine out of Merlot, and we didn't really want to make kind of a direct press um, kind of summer watery rosé either mm-hmm. because that those wines are just kind of one-dimensional and not really what our tastes are. Right. So we spent the weekend in San Francisco tasting all these Merlot rosés and we didn't taste a single one that we liked. Mm. So we're like, okay, well, we're going to throw a Hail Mary here and see what happens. So we got the fruit in and it was pretty, it was, it was decently ripe. It didn't have a ton of acidity on it. So we kind of played this game where we put the fruit in the press, did a really light initial press, and then we racked the juice back into the press where the grapes were sitting and let it oxidize and macerate overnight. Mm -hmm. And the maceration on it is only 24 hours. And if you look at it in bottle, it looks a lot darker than it actually is in glass. Um, okay. so if you're looking at the full bottle, yes, it looks like light red, but if you, if you look at it in a glass, it actually looks kind of like this really kind of nuclear radiant orangey, you know, salmony color, Yeah. which we were super stoked on. And yeah. It's really unique. The wine took a super long time to ferment. The nutrients from the vineyard weren't super strong. So... It was a really slow ferment that we did in neutral French oak. And we like ferment we like fermenting in neutral French oak because it gives the wine, you know, a little bit more oxidation, allows it to breathe a little bit more, and it also gives it some texture. Um so we the VA in the bottle or the VA in the wine had started to go up a little bit and but the wine hadn't fully gone through fermentation. It was still kind of hovering around being fully dry, but it was still sort of off dry. So we bottled it and it got bottled with this little spritziness, which I actually really love. Yeah. But this wine has changed. It's like gone through fermentation and bottle. So there's some bottles that are super spritzy and have that kind of, like nerd's rope feel on your mouth. And there's some that have gone pretty dry that still have a little residual spritz. Um, Are you nervous about this? No, all the wine, the wine's stable. So we haven't Mm -hmm. had any corks pushing or anything Mm -hmm. exploding. It's not, (laughs) it's not like a pet gnat. Yeah. 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 But it just has has that little like spritz, like the little effervescence of, yeah, the essence of spritz, which I find really nice. Yeah. And, 
we were down in San Diego with my friends, Makoto and Alina from Chino Farms, and they just started making ice cream out of their strawberries, which if you have a chance to grab, you should. It's Do they sell that here in L.A.? Um, they're doing some pop-ups in L.A., but they mainly sell it at the farm stand in Rancho Santa Fe. Okay. Um, they're they're expanding. Yeah. Everyone go support them. Their their vegetables have been killing it in L.A. for you know, ever since the Wolf King Puck era, but this, <laughs> this new ice cream is epic. So it has this really nice kind of strawberry, almost, it, it tastes almost identical to their ice cream. Mm-hmm. It has this really nice, soft, red this strawberry rose. fruit, the rosé. And um, Makoto liked it so much, he poured it over his ice cream and ate it like that. So. Ooh, like an affogato, but... yeah wine exactly so it's (laughs) kind of awesome it's perfect definitely drink it cold Mm -hmm. it's a great pool beachside picnic wine um but it's really lively and fun and not really what you'd expect out of merlot which is kind of bastardized in its own right 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 Uh, yeah i feel like merlot's always people are tentative people are sometimes like a little nervous maybe because they know merlot to be older heavier (laughs) Yeah. yeah yes exactly sideways well, no, that was that was Pinot. It was Merlot. Oh, they they were drinking Pinot instead of Merlot. Yeah, he's like, don't fucking serve me Merlot. But he was like a Pinot head. But then Pinot like got played out because of Sideways. I feel like I feel like now like Pinot Merlot used to be the most planted grape in California. Yeah, I remember hearing that before Sideways, <laughs> and then everyone ripped it out to plant Pinot. And oh it. my gosh! But now Pinot's a little. I mean, I love a good Pinot, but sure. but Pinot is a bit played out. I mean, you're not going to tell moms in the valley that their Pinot Chardonnay is played out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. Well, I'm really excited about this. I love, like, I love a risotto. Like, I love, like, a dark, 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 dark rosé. I love, like, a really light red. Actually, I really like Merlot. So Mm -hmm. I know, like, this is going to be, yeah, I'm excited for this for sure. If you ever drink those um, Marco Barati wines from Italy, um, his Merlot is... It's it's like defyingly good Merlot. Mm, um, I don't know that I've ever had an Italian Merlot. It's it's up in the Alps, and okay. the vineyard is actually part of a national park. Oh wow, cool! And cool. their wines are fantastic. So, so this is the part of the podcast where you might hear a commercial or an advertisement. And if you are a brand and you would like to promote your product or your service or yourself. Send me an email. Let's connect. Let's collaborate. As you know, this is a self-produced podcast, and I am happy to provide space for your advertisements. Now, back to our show. What does Ficky Ficky mean? Yeah. <laughs> and what was the inspiration for the name? So when Ty and I started the project, we were throwing around all these really serious names. And can you share? We were originally going to call it Phantasma. Oh, that's kind of cool. Which was kind of cool, but it didn't totally make sense. I don't really remember any of the other names, but we, Ty Ty and I's friendship is kind of interesting because the time that it took for us to become friends to start making wine together was maybe four or five months. Mm -hmm. We met at, um, shout out, shout out to friend of Fiki, Leah. Leah's birthday party, um, <laughs> where I was, I used to be her next door neighbor and it was the, the theme was kind of black tie 
you know, Christmas-esque stuff. And I brought one of those absurdly long Alsatian mags of Jingling Jade uh, Pinot. Hmm. And I was pouring that for people. And then I see this dude in the corner um, pulling a bottle in and out of his inner jacket pocket of Sylvain Bach. I think it was Grenache or Syrah. I was like, that looks like something I would do. So I started <laughs> Not talking. Not wanting to share the good stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, the, I mean, but I, I share a lot. I, I love I love pouring for people. We, we got to have you over for like one of our yeah, no, I'd love debauchery wine nights. Where I would we open, love to like, come. I'll bring some wine. Two bottles per people. Perfect. That is, that's how we do it here. So, yeah. yeah. So anyway, we, um, the night ended with me. I lived three blocks away from the party. It ended with me sprinting back and forth, grabbing a magnum of Katanochi, uh, like one of their sparkling wines, back to the party. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just kind of kicked off our friendship. We started doing these Sunday night dinners where Kendall would make these really extravagant dinners and we would open the, pretty much the entire cellar. So we became really quick friends that way. And um, I forgot where I was going with this. Fiki Fiki. Fiki Fiki, yeah. So Fiki Fiki. Fiki Fiki. Fiki Fiki. So Fiki Fiki. Fiki Fiki. Yeah. So um during harvest, I mean, so Ty has a really strong Italian background and he loves Italian kind of like disco and old Italian pop music. So Okay, so he's very natty. Yeah. Basically. Because yeah. I feel like that's the aesthetic of the natty. Well, they all copied him. The natty party. Yeah. Okay, that's probably true. That's probably <laughs> true, honestly. Meeting him downstairs, I could see it. He seems very like yeah. He's an early adopter. Totally. I mean, he grew up going to Italy every year of his mm-hmm. life. Like everyone else is just on the train. <laughs> but um, so there's this great song by a guy named Johnny Drudy called Fiki Fiki. And it's, it's you know, it bangs. And we were throwing around names and we were, it was kind of like our harvest anthem. And we're like, you know what, let's just, this is already like kind of a fun and silly project. Let's just make it something not super serious and call it Fiki Fiki. So we were like, yeah, whatever. We're tired of throwing names back and forth. This makes the most sense. So we, we ran with that. And then we're like, you know, we should probably figure out what the meaning of this phrase actually means. And it, it translates to, you know, an Italian fig fig, like fruit fig. Oh, okay. So Fiki... Fiki is a fig. But the the phrase means a few things depending on where in Italy you're from. Mm -hmm. And if you listen to the song, like, so the first phrase is getting around a dinner table with a bunch of friends and eating and drinking too much, which is great. Love that. And the second is a one night stand. So really just depends on the kind of night you're having. Yeah. Could be both. I was going to say, it definitely could be both. (laughs) But if you listen to the song, it's like, and decipher the lyrics, it's very explicitly the latter. Yeah. So... (laughs) We kind of had already printed out the labels before we could do anything about it. So we just ran with it. I love it. Yeah. That's awesome. Wow. So it has like really like deep old world roots then in a way. If you want to call it that. Old sure. modern. Because yeah. it's, yeah, because it's like, that's cool. I really like that. Fiki fiki. Yeah. It can mean a lot of things. It's like, you yeah, wanna, depending on the. You got to be careful who you're talking to. If you're like, do you want a fiki fiki? Like, <laughs> yeah. Do you want a glass of Fiki Fiki? Yeah. Do you want a Fiki Fiki? Do you want to hang out? But there's been a, a lot of Italians who have tasted with us or picked up our bottle and be like, this is hilarious. Yeah. So our our dream is to either get sued by Johnny Drudy <laughs> or to have our wine. That's our in, dream. In Italy. Yeah. Everything that we make from the next three vintages, we'd like we'll to his, give 
him. We'll pay his legal fees. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, wait. What about the the labels? I find the labels like very gorgeous. So that was because yeah. you've had the same label, right? Like the seaside kind of like sparkle. Yeah. So you had that on the other vintages too, right? This is all Ty's photography. Ty's oh, amazing. Ty's a really talented um, photographer, and he has this massive camera that looks like a lunchbox that apparently is you know the top of the a, line um starts with an m why am i blanking so if you were here he'd know but he yeah all the all mamiya the, i don't know it's a mamiya let's just say yeah it is it's a hundred yeah. it's 120 i know it yeah. i know it i know it um so yeah all the all the labels are his photography and um we kind of just wanted the labels to emote a sense of drinking outside with friends. Mm-hmm. And that's what's really nice about the shimmering water and either the sand or the clouds. It's, it's kind of this feeling of solace. Yeah. I also feel like that shimmering water is very like, this is a term that I think my cousins coined, but I could be wrong. California noir. Yeah. Is like That's really funny actually. Their aesthetic and their vibe. And yeah, it's like it's like you it's sunset, you're like up the coast, maybe it's like Malibu yeah. area, looking at the water, capturing this just like gorgeous sunset moment, but it's not a sunset, it's the water. But exactly. you know it's sunset. Yeah, it also kind of looks like city lights at the same time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um it's really funny you say California Noir because, you know, friend of the pod and, and wine, Micah, when we were doing our branding with him, that was kind of the phrase that I kept on throwing out. California Noir? Yeah. Which Love is, that. You know, it's, it's cool. It's like, it's, I feel like a lot of people are. And that kind of ties into like that movie subtitled like foreign yeah. film. I think you need to meet my cousins because okay. I feel like you guys, like just your brains are working in the same like aesthetic, like branding yeah they're not in wine at all <laughs> that's that's better you no know, they're not in wine they're like one's a musician and the other is a photographer but but yeah they're they're aesthetic they're twins and their aesthetic is what i've heard them refer to as california noir i don't know like i've never heard it other than them but it makes so much sense totally and yeah that's just like that kind of like it could be 70s French or like cinema Italian Lake Como Lake Como or like exactly beachside, like a know, Slim Aaron's candy cane towel type thing yes. it's like Vespa vibe but yes. the thing that interests us the most about wine other than drinking it and facilitating a good time is the art philosophy history and the agricultural aspects mm-hmm. of it and um, you know like all of those things are are really fun to learn about but at the same time like once it gets too out there and too serious like you kind of lose what you're doing it for in the first place right right. so we're our aim is to find that perfect juxtaposition where it's we never want our wines to be stuffy or too serious but i also want our wines to feel insightful Mm -hmm. and um kind of intricate that way yeah but our whole vibe is like have fun yeah you know (laughs) i love that no i love that we want our like our we want we want to facilitate 
good times with people that also inspires like really fun conversation Mm -hmm. because there's nothing better than, you know, we've all grown up and we've all had times where we got really drunk and didn't remember anything. But the times I enjoy the most now are meeting someone that is really intellectual stimulating. Mm -hmm. And if you can bond over something like a bottle or a glass of wine that provides that same energy, that's perfect. Yeah. You know? Yeah, definitely. So what can we expect from Fiki Fiki in the next year? A lot more wine years. in general. We're, more wine? Yeah, we're going to, like I said, we're going to make about hopefully five cuvées this year, weather permitting. Um, we're going to start making some merch. We, we started making some wine keys. We want to make visors and socks. And mouse pads. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> An ode to your past <laughs> working in corporate. And floppy desk. No. Um, but yeah, we're just really trying to kind of grow like a group of friends. And yeah. we're going to be doing a lot more events in LA with a lot of LA based winemakers. And, you know, hopefully over time, this venture replaces our primary jobs right but that linear relationship is you know it's slowly moving yeah that's that's a dream yeah hopefully we all have we have a vineyard and a cove that everyone can visit soon so that's awesome i'm excited for you guys i'm excited to try these yeah i like wish we had chilled them while we were talking so oh yeah well that's that means i'm selling them well (laughs) are you ready for the lightning round question i don't think i have a choice questions this is my favorite question okay Celebrity owned wine, love them or hate them? Um, hate. I mean, who's even in that conversation? Like Snoop Dogg, GP. Mary Fuck Kill, Grape Varietals, Malvasia, Grenache Blanc, Cab Franc. Hmm. I don't particularly like any of these. So <laughs> this is hard. Um, I'd probably fuck Malvasia. Um, I'd probably kill Grenache Blanc and marry Cab Franc. Final answer. Kill Grenache Blanc? Yeah. Positive? Yes. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. Interesting. Interesting. I love a Cab Franc. I like like a really like peppery i guess like not fruity i'm gonna ask you the same question lightning round but make new grapes yeah new grapes okay mary fuck kill chenin blanc pulsard and riesling okay i don't know pulsard really yeah okay um it's awesome you should definitely get to know pulsard is it a red it's a red from jura and oh see that that's a like fr- okay i really need to dive this is i've literally said this to myself earlier that i want to like dive more into like french like wines because i haven't i know a lot of like obvious french wines but i haven't really like deep dived into like I can't other s- i can't seem to leave france mm-hmm. so it's it's a great world yeah it's awesome okay wait so let's start over. Chenin Blanc. Okay. Riesling. Okay. And let's go 
with Karen Yan. Ooh. Okay. I'm going to say I'm going to marry Riesling. Okay. That's a good call. I fucking love Rieslings. Yeah. Old Riesling is sick as fuck. I I love Cal I love a California Riesling. Riesling's hard though because it is it's, really hard. It's hard to farm, yeah. especially in the Mosul. It's hard to farm farm organically. Oh really? Yeah. I didn't know about that. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Well, I just lately I've been having a lot of Rieslings, like California Rieslings, and I'm like, damn, like this is a whole other side of Riesling that maybe we just don't think about because like, the obvious is going to be like a German Alsatian, like whatever. Yeah. It's going to be very like specific, but yeah. Okay. Mary Riesling. I would say you said Shannon mm -hmm. and you said Karen Yen. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to say fuck Karen Yen. Okay. Kill Shannon. Kill Shannon. Okay. Damn. I well, I like Shannon. <laughs> so hard. I like <laughs> Shannon, but like it's a bit. It's kind of like. Well, California. It's kind of like the finance bro of really wine in my mind. Damn. To me, I mean, are you going strictly off of California? He's Shannon? rich, but like. He's rich and that's nice, but I'm just like he's not rich, that into but like... it. But I'm not that into it. He's kind of boring sometimes. That's um, that's what I that's how I feel. Yeah, you gotta you gotta meet the no, French. Like... You gotta meet the French, <laughs> the French finance, French bro. Finance. <laughs> Who would you share a bottle of wine with, living or dead? Hmm. I love sharing wine with my grandfather. Hmm. That's nice. Yeah. He, I don't know what it is about him, but he truly, even, you know, having the farming and agricultural background and knowledge for him, I don't know. It's, it's also just kind of like, it's the same question. It's like, if you were to go on a walk with anyone, mm -hmm. who would you want to go on a walk with? Right. And at any point in time, you know, living or dead. I don't know. It's yeah. just, I love spending time with them. So I love that. That's kind of yeah. like a boring answer, I guess. No, that's not boring that's at all. Honest. Actually, yeah. you're the second person to mention their grandpa. I'm trying to think of someone dead I'd want to share wine with. I don't know. Maybe like Hunter S. Thompson or someone. Ooh. But I feel like he wouldn't actually enjoy the wine. He would just down it. <laughs> yeah, probably. So it would be a very short. Yeah. <laughs> Hemingway. Hemingway was a big wine fan and whiskey, but yeah, honestly, maybe like Owen Wilson. Oh, cool. Well, he's not dead. <laughs> he's not dead, <laughs> but sorry. I just got a big midnight in Paris <laughs> kick. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I like Owen Wilson too. He's cool. He's He'd be cool. Yeah. I think mine would be maybe like mine would be Marie Antoinette okay. or Anthony Bourdain. Oh, shit. RIP. Yeah, that's mine. Yesterday that's mine was too. his. Yesterday was his uh, anniversary. Yeah. Yeah, Anthony Bourdain. Well, I don't don't want to get on that subject on the pod because that'll just be too yeah, emotional. let's get out of here. <laughs> too emotional. Well, thanks for joining. Yeah. Thanks for being on the podcast. I that was fun. fun. Yeah. 
As always, thank you for listening and supporting this podcast. New episodes are available every other Friday on Substack and on Spotify. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to my newsletter on Substack and get weekly articles and these podcasts direct to your inbox. And also, please, 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 please continue to share. Every share and review and new listener helps this podcast tremendously and continues to build our community. Thank you and I love you and see you next week.